I'm going to be reading from Jeremiah 35 and 36. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites and speak to them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Then I set before the men of the house of the Rechabites pitchers full of wine and cups, and said to them, Drink wine. But they said, We will not drink wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall not drink wine, you or your sons, forever. You shall not build a house, and you shall not sow seed. And you shall not plant a vineyard or own one. But in tents you shall dwell all the days, that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. We have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he had commanded us. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction by listening to my words, declares the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are observed. So they do not drink wine to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. But I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not listened to me. Also, I have sent you all my servants, the prophets, sending them again and again, saying, Turn now every man from his evil and amend your deeds, and do not go after other gods to worship them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you, which I have given to you and your forefathers. But you have not inclined your ear or listened to me. Indeed, the sons of Jonadab, the sons the son of Rechab, have observed the command of their father, which he commanded them. But this people has not listened to me. Therefore, says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing on Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoke to them, but they did not listen, and I have called them, but they did not answer. Then Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab, your father, kept all his commands and done according to all he commanded you, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me always. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take a scroll and write on it all the words which I have spoken to you concerning Israel and concerning Judah and concerning all the nations from the first day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah even to this day. Perhaps the house of Judah will hear the calamity which I plan to bring on them, in order that every man will turn from his evil way. Then I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him. Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month, with a fire burning in the brazier before him. When Jehudai had read three or four columns, the king cut it with the scribe's knife and threw it into the fire that was in the brazier. 
until the scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the brazier. The king and all his servants who heard all these words were not afraid, nor did they rend their garments. Even though Elnathan and Delena and Gemariah pleaded with the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. And the king commanded Jeremiah, the king's son, Sariah, the son of Azrael, Shelemiah, the son of Abdil, to seize Baruch, the scribe, and Jeremiah, the prophet. But the Lord hid them. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after the king had burned the scroll and the words which Baruch had written at the dictation of Jeremiah, saying, Take again another scroll and write on it all the former words that were on the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, burned. And concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say, Thus says the Lord, You have burned this scroll, saying, Why have you written on it, The king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land, and make man and beast to cease from it? Therefore, says the the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, He shall have no one to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. I will also punish him and his descendants and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring on them and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the men of Judah all the calamity I have declared to them. But they did not listen. Then Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the scribe. And he wrote on it at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jeremiah, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And many similar words were added to them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this book that you've given us that has recorded your dealings with men throughout history. We pray that we would hear your words this morning and that we would listen to them in Jesus' name. Our passage this morning is a, is a powerful passage about a showdown between uh, a very prideful king and the God who made him. And before we get to that showdown in chapter 36, uh, there's a stage setting in chapter 35. But, but uh, first, I, I want to kind of show you where I'm going for the next few weeks. The next three weeks, we're going to look at three approaches to the Word of God and three outcomes. And these are going to cover pretty big chunks of, uh, of Jeremiah. But the, the cool thing is they're all very story-oriented. Uh, there's some deep, powerful lessons about God and God's relationship with His people in these passages, but they're stories, they're, they're real-life stories that are, that are quite uh, compelling. First, this week we're going to look at Jehoiakim and the disaster of fearlessly discarding the Word of God, chapters 35 and 36. Next week we're going to bounce back one and move forward a couple. <laughs> We're going to look at Zedekiah and the calamity of selectively heeding the Word of God. Chapters 34 and 37 to 39. And then finally in this little trilogy, Jeremiah, the great cost and greater blessing of faithfully heeding and proclaiming the Word of God. And that's chapters 38 verse 1 to 40 verse 6. You see there's overlap in there, but that's because these stories are interwoven This morning, Jehoiakim and the disaster of fearlessly discarding the Word of God. 
As these two chapters begin in chapter 35, God sets up a contrast. And there's a brilliant staging that takes place here. Uh, specifically, it's a contrast between one particularly one particular family in Jerusalem that faithfully heeded their earthly father's word. And all the rest of the Judahites as a nation who continually closed their ears to the Father's Word. And you'll see what I mean as we go, how God very directly contrasts those two. As the chapter opens, God tells Jeremiah, his faithful prophet, to go to the house of a clan in Israel called the Rechabites, who are now in Judah, they're in Jerusalem, having fled the the attack of Nebuchadnezzar. God says to Jeremiah, bring the, the whole clan of the Rechabites over to the temple and offer them wine to drink. And Jeremiah did that. He, he brought them to the temple. He brought them to a particular chamber in the temple. And he um, set pitchers full of wine and cups in front of them. And he said, drink wine. And the Rechabites said to him, Verse 6, we will not drink wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rehob, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall not drink wine, you or your sons, forever. You shall not build a house, and you shall not sow seed, and you shall not plant a vineyard or own one. But in tents you shall dwell all your days, that you may live many days in the land in which you sojourn. And then they said to Jeremiah, We have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he commanded us, not to drink wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, or our daughters, not to build ourselves houses to dwell in, and we do not have vineyard or field or seed. We have only dwelt in tents and have obeyed and have done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. Now, as we read that, it would be an easy dodge for us to say we don't have to pay much attention to it because these Rechabites, they were just legalists. They they uh, were so enamored with the law that they created restrictions that God had not imposed on His people. But I want to tell you that in order to know the hearts of the Rechabites, you have to know the heart of their father, Jonadab. And if you go back to 2 Kings chapter 10, 2 Kings chapter 10, you'll see uh, a narrative of the events around the time of King Jehu. God raised up Jehu as a righteous king. And through the prophet Elisha, God commissioned Jehu to completely do away with the household of King Ahab, who had been the worst king in Israel to date. He was terrible. And his wife, Jezebel, who was worse than terrible. God told King Jehu to get rid of them and then to eradicate Baal worship from the land that Ahab had firmly entrenched all over Israel. After Jehu had done quite a bit of that cleanup and had killed a large portion of Ahab's family, he was going from one place to another and a man approached him and this man's name was Jehonadab. That's just a, an extended version of the name Jonadab. There's a lot of those little abbreviations in Scripture. 
2 Kings 10, verse 15, when Jehu had departed, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rehob, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and he said to him, is your heart right as my heart is with your heart? And what he's saying is, are you devoted to me as I am devoted to you? And Jehonadab answered, my heart is. My heart is strong with you. And Jehu said, okay, if it is, give me your hand. And he gave him his hand and he took him up into the chariot and he said, come with me and see my zeal for Yahweh. Come with me and see my zeal for Yahweh. Jehu then with Jonadab at his side sent word throughout all of Israel that there would be a great festival at a place called the house of Baal, an altar and temple that that King Ahab had built in the city of Samaria for the worship of Baal. Jehu said, let's gather all the Baal worshipers. You're all invited. We're going to have a great festival. No Yahweh worshipers are allowed. Only Baal worshipers. When the, when the people gathered at the house of Baal, Jehu, with Jonadab at his side, set up soldiers at every exit, 80 of them, so that Nobody who had come in could get out. It's like a roach motel. And then Jehu commanded his army to slay every last one of his Baal worshippers with the edge of the sword. And then, to add a marvelous ironic insult to injury, Jehu said, let's take, let's tear down this altar called the house of Baal and let's Use the building materials to make a latrine. If you think God doesn't have a sense of humor, you're not paying much attention. I, I can just picture the latrine with the sign over the door, the house of Baal. Throughout all of that, that purging of the worship of false, this false god, Jehu's right-hand man had been Jehonadab. A man uncommonly zealous for God, even among godly men. See, it was not legalism or stoicism or judgmentalism that had caused Jonadab to require of his sons and of their sons that they not drink wine, that they not build houses, that they not own fields and vineyards in the land. It was uncompromising zeal for the for the agenda of God on earth. This is the kind of man who refuses alcohol not because God forbids it, but because he intends to be 100% accessible to God with all of his faculties 100% of the time. I remember having a conversation with a group of young people about the legalization of marijuana a while back. And they had all these different arguments and, and things to say about how it wasn't as bad as alcohol. And, and I just said this, to the, here's what I said to them. I said, you get to make a choice every single day of your life as a child of God. And that is to be either 100% accessible and available to God when he calls on you or less than 100% available to him. Which are you going to choose? John Adab was a man who was ready when he met up with the king. They li- he lived in tents not because God had something against houses, but he wanted to be unencumbered by anything in this world that would keep him from moving wherever God wanted to put him 
at any point. Him and his whole family. In fact, since he was from up north, if he had not taken that approach, he would have been carried away into captivity with all the Assyrians long before this. Now, Jonadab's sons and grandsons in Jeremiah 35 refuse the wine that Jeremiah offers to them at God's instruction. God told Jeremiah to offer them the wine. And what we find, if you look at verses 12 and following in chapter 35, it becomes very apparent that God orchestrated that whole episode to make a very powerful point to all of Judah. Listen as I read Again, Jeremiah 35, verses 12 to 17, and and pay special attention to what God says about sons listening to or not listening to fathers. Jeremiah 35, 12, Then the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, Go and say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction by listening to my words? declares Yahweh. And then verse 14, the words of John, this is God still talking. The words of Jonadab, the son of Rehob, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine were observed. So they do not drink wine to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. But I have spoken to you again and again, and literally I have spoken to you rising up early and speaking. Yet you have not listened to me. And then verse 15. Also, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, turn now every man from his evil way and amend your deeds and do not go after other gods to worship them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given to you and to your forefathers. But you have not inclined your ear or listened to me. And then God says again, Indeed, the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rehob, have observed the command of their father which he commanded them, but this people has not listened to me. When God repeats himself, we're supposed to pay attention. You think it's important to God for his people to listen to him? And then God says, Therefore, thus says Yahweh, the God of armies, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing on Judah and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster that I have pronounced on them because I spoke to them, but they did not listen. And I have called them, but they did not answer. My brother Paul Johannan pointed out Wednesday to me that Jeremiah is the only writer in the Old Testament who uses the phrase rising up early the way Jeremiah does. He uses it 11 times in this one book. Rising up early and speaking. Rising up early and warning. Rising up early and proclaiming. Always through His prophets. Always through His prophets. And the the force of that phrase is that God is saying to Judah, ever since I made you, I have faithfully sent my prophets to teach you, to exhort you, to warn you, but you have steadfastly closed your ears to my word. At the end of chapter 35, God declares two dramatically different outcomes based on the two dramatically different responses of sons to their father's word. 
I already read the first part, but I'll read it again. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, the God of armies, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing on Judah and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster that I have pronounced against them because I spoke to them, but they did not listen. And I have called them, but they did not answer. Then Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, thus says Yahweh, the God of armies, the God of Israel, because you have kept the commands of Jonadab your father, kept all his commands and done according to all that he commanded you. Therefore, thus says Yahweh of armies, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rehob, shall not lack a man to stand before me always. He's saying from then on, the Rechabites would always have someone from their, their line descended from the line of Jonadab to stand before Yahweh. That's the stage setting. Sons who listen and sons who don't. And then we come to chapter 36 and we get a very vivid real life example of what happens when the people of God don't listen. We get to see a king who decides to have a showdown with the living God. As the chapter opens, God commissions Jeremiah in chapter 36, verses 2 and 3, and he says to Jeremiah, take a scroll and write on it all the words which I've spoken to you concerning Israel and concerning Judah and concerning all the nations from the day that I first started talking to you back in the days of Josiah, even to this day. Now, how long had that been? Well, Josiah reigned for 31 years. And then, then after Josiah for three months... One of Josiah's sons named Jehoahaz reigned. And then came Jehoiakim, this king. And he reigned for 11 years. And this is part way through the reign of Jehoiakim. So we're talking 20 plus years, right? Of revelation that God had been giving through Jeremiah to his people. And I think it's pretty much everything that we find up to this point in the book of Jeremiah. And he's written all this on a scroll. So it's a pretty big scroll. And he says, write all this on a scroll. Perhaps the house of Judah will hear all the calamity which I plan to bring on them in order that every man will turn from his evil way. Then I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. Now, Jeremiah was under arrest. He says he, there's a verse that says he was shut up. That, that wording is used over and over in the book to mean that he's under arrest. It's one of several arrests that Jeremiah experienced. That's in, uh, in 36 verse 5. And so Jeremiah dictated to Baruch, his scribe, everything that God had told him to proclaim since the days of Josiah. And then he said to Baruch, go to the temple in Jerusalem on a fast day when all the people are going to be gathered there at the temple and read the scroll in the ears of all of Judah. Ear, the subject of ears keeps coming up in these, these passages. And so then Baruch goes to the temple, and in verse 10 it says he went to the chamber of a guy named Gamariah, the son of Shaphan, the scribe. Now, do you know who Shaphan is? It's fascinating stuff. If you go back to 2 Kings chapter 22 and 2 Chronicles chapter 34, it tells about the days of King Josiah when the temple had fallen into terrible disrepair. The Word of God had been lost 
and not even heard from for generations. The Passover had not been celebrated. Things were in a mess. And Josiah, the godly, one of the godliest kings in, in the whole line from David in Judah, commands that the temple be restored, that it be repaired. And as, as his, his guys are rebuilding the temple, a man named Hilkiah discovers the book of the law of Moses in the temple. And he, he brings it to a guy named Shaphan, the scribe. And Shaphan hurries to King Josiah and reads it to King Josiah. And King Josiah cries out and he tears his clothes in contrition and he repents on behalf of all of Judah. And he, he goes about reinstating the worship of Yahweh and eradicating from the land the worship of all false gods. And for the first time in generations, the Passover is properly celebrated in Judah. Remember that. Josiah hears the Word of God read and he tears his clothes in contrition and repentance. After Jeremiah dictates the scroll to Baruch, Baruch takes the scroll to Gemariah and to the to the, the scribal community of Gemariah, Gemariah being a son of Shaphan, the scribe from Josiah's time, uh, he, he actually reads it on that day. He takes it to the, to the scribes, but he's reading it in, in the hearing of I mean, all of Judah. They're gathered for the fast day, so the, t- the temple's full, and he reads it for all of them. And after he reads it, uh, one of the scribes, Micaiah, uh, goes to the king's house, to the king's chamber, and he reads the same scroll to the scribes who were there in the king's house. And these are, again, the, the sons of some of the same scribes that served under Jeremiah. Go in there and look at the names in Second Kings, Second Chronicles, and here. These, these are sons and grandsons of the guys who were serving as scribes in the days of Josiah. As they hear the scroll read, the scribes are very fearful. And I believe they're fearful because they know how Jehoiakim is going to react and they know that they have to bear this information to him. That's the whole point, finally. And so they say to, the scribes say to Jeremiah and Baruch, you need to go hide yourselves. And then they go and they report to King Jehoiakim what they have seen and read. And Jehoiakim orders that the scroll be brought to him and read by a guy named Jehudi. Now, the setting is Jehoiakim the king is in his winter house and it's cold. And he has this brazier, which is like a, it's like a, a, an old school version of a portable space heater. It's just an open flame, an open fire on a little pan that you can roll around. And so he keeps it up close to him so it can warm him. And then the way it works is he tells Jehudi to read the scroll. Now, in, in Hebrew, you read from right to left, not from left to right. Right to left and then top to bottom. And so let me see if I can get the hands right here. If you're, you're reading from right to left, you're pulling from your left, you're pulling the roll from your left hand and you're reading as you go and then you're rolling it up in your right hand. You with me? You're reading the red portion. So the portion in between is the exposed columns. 
As Jehudi read the scroll and he pulled out the first batch and he read the columns, before he could roll it up into his right hand, either the king directly or the king by, or Jehudi by order of the king cut off all the columns that had been read and tossed them into the brazier. And then he pulled out another batch and read the columns and the same thing over and over and over. Instead of having the scroll rolled up, the red scroll rolled up in his right hand, he had had nothing because the scroll was, was in ashes on this brazier. It's hard to imagine a more vivid way that any man could declare and display his utter contempt for the Word of God. Jehoiakim made himself the poster child for the very indictment that God had just presented in the previous chapter when he said to Judah, you have not inclined your ear and you have not listened to my word. I have sent my prophets over and over, rising up early and speaking to you, and you have not listened. I believe verse 24 very deliberately and starkly contrasts Jehoiakim's response to the word of God with King Josiah's response 18 years earlier. When Josiah heard the book of the law read for the first time after it had been ignored for generations, Josiah tore his garments and repented on behalf of the whole nation, ushering in a period of marvelous revival and devotion to God throughout the land. But now, in verse 24 of chapter 36, it says, Yet the king and all his servants who heard all these words were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments. They had no fear of the God of armies. Verse 25 says that the young scribes whose fathers had seen firsthand Josiah's humble response to God's word, whose fathers had been right there when Josiah read the book of the law to all of Judah, those scribes pleaded, they pleaded with King Jehoiakim not to do what he was doing. And then at the end of verse 25 it says, but he would not listen to them. So who won the showdown? Well, in chapter 36, verses 27 to 28, God says to Jeremiah, okay, make another scroll. And write on it all the former words, and I got something else for you to add, Jeremiah. Verses 29 to 31, here's something to add to your scroll. And concerning Concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say, thus says Yahweh, you have burned this scroll saying, why have you written, Jeremiah, why have you written on it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will make man and beast to cease from it? Therefore, thus says Yahweh concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of day and the frost of the night. I will also punish him and his descendants and his servants for their iniquity, and I will bring on them and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem and on the men of Judah all the calamity that I have declared to them. And then there's this little phrase right at the end of that verse, but they did not listen. If you read the book of Revelation, you'll see a passage where the mountains are coming down and the judgment of God is being poured out upon the earth and men say, let the mountains fall on us 
but keep us away from the one, from this God who's doing all this. Protect us from Him. They'd rather let the mountains fall on their heads than repent. There are a lot of people like that. There's a divine irony here. Uh, I said God has a sense of humor. Jehoiakim used God's Word as fuel for his personal indoor heater. God says that his body will be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. Zero climate control until the birds and the worms have finished with his carcass. Jeremiah had already been told how Jehoiakim would meet his end back in chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. It says, Thus says the Lord in regard to Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they will not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, or alas, sister. They will not lament for him, saying, Alas, for the master, or alas, for his splendor. He will be buried with a donkey's burial, dragged off and thrown out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. In other words, he won't be buried at all. There's a passage in 2 Chronicles 34 that says that uh, Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiakim off in bronze chains into Babylon. I don't think there's any contradiction there. I think Jehoiakim became so onerous in the sight of Nebuchadnezzar that when Nebuchadnezzar came back to finish the siege of Jerusalem, he dropped the body of Jehoiakim outside the gates. How did the showdown end up? God won, Jehoiakim lost. But the most grievous loss for Jehoiakim that's spelled out for us in this chapter, it doesn't talk about the eternal consequence, but it points out something that's just staggering. Jehoiakim had reduced to ashes an opportunity that very, very few men in the history of the world have been handed, and that is to be included in the line that led from David to Messiah. He threw that away. And God said to him, you shall have no one to sit on the throne of David. How did Jehoiakim's effort to destroy the Word of God end up? (laughs) Look at the very last verse of chapter 36. Jeremiah 36, verse 32. says, Then Jeremiah took another scroll... He gave it to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the scribe, and he wrote on it at the dictation of Jeremiah, Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Ju- the king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to them. Once again, you've got to love the divine irony. Think about it, friends. Here we stand, here we sit, 2,600 years later, reading out loud God's own record of Jehoiakim's ignominious death that has been passed down and that was originally written down on the scroll that God told Jeremiah to use to replace the one that Jehoiakim burned up. 2,600 years later. So who won and who lost? I want to, just as a little aside, I want to say we don't have the young people here, the youth, and that's, that's good. they got very important things going on during this hour or the children. But we who are parents of those young people, think about how unapologetically Jonadab instructed his sons. He even went, he went beyond what God required 
And he, he worked to instill in his own sons a fervor, a zeal for the things of, of the Lord that didn't care about finding the boundaries. It just cared about being available to God. That's what we as parents are called to do. We, we should be unapologetic. You're not a parent to be buddies with your children. You are a parent with the divine stewardship from God to raise up your children in the knowledge and discipline of the Lord. You have no idea whether they will receive it or not. No idea. And you have no control over whether they will receive it or not. I speak from experience, not just close to home, but at home. But it doesn't change. How they receive it makes no change to the assignment. We're here to to do the very best that we can to speak the truth of God and love to our children and to insist that they hear it. September of 2018, the Associated Press reported that Chinese authorities were raiding Christian churches and burning all the Bibles that were found in those churches, putting them in piles and setting fire to them. That event, beloved, has been repeated countless times in countless nations ever since God started revealing His Word to people. How do you think that effort in China to eliminate the Word of God is going to end up? God told us how it's going to end up, very explicitly. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6-8. through Many of you already know the last part of that passage because in 1 Peter chapter 1, he cites two of the three verses that I'm going to read. But the verse he doesn't cite is also very helpful, very illuminating. I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. The prophet Isaiah hears a voice, says, call out. He answered, what shall I call out? And here's what he's instructed to call out. All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When? When the breath of Yahweh blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. And then the verse we know, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. In that metaphor, we're the grass. And when, the, when God, when the breath of God blows upon that grass, it ceases to exist on this earth. You and I, whether we hear and heed the Word of God or turn our face away from it, are are like grass. Our days on this cursed earth will soon, come, very soon, come to an end. But for those of us who belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ alone, we have, we have the amazing God-ordained privilege of bearing to this world the unfailing, unchangeable, unassailable Word of God that will stand forever. May God make us like Jeremiah so that we fearlessly proclaim to the glory of our great God and Savior His eternal Word, knowing that many will fearlessly discard that Word to the ruin, to the eternal ruin of their souls. But beloved, some will listen and they will be brought out of the darkness into the eternal light of life in Jesus Christ. 
And only the Holy Spirit working through the living and active Word of God will bring that about. There's no other way. I want to read a poem. It was, uh, it's an old poem attributed to a man named John Clifford, and I'll close with it. Last eve, I passed beside a blacksmith's door and heard the anvil ring the vesper chime. When looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all these hammers so? Just one, he said. Then with a twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought the anvil of God's Word for ages skeptics' blows have beat upon. Yet though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed, the hammer's gone. Loving Father, we ask that You would make our heart like the heart of Jonadab, like the heart of Jeremiah, that You would make us to stand upon the Word of God no matter what. No matter what. No matter what this world throws at us, even no matter what thoughtless and careless Christians throw at us for so standing. Father, Your Word is sure and certain and untouchable. It never changes. And it is, it is the very living and active Word that brings light out of darkness and life out of death by Your amazing work. Make us faithful, Father. Make us faithful to Your Word. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.